I usually teach in series. Last week I started teaching a series on, uh, the title is Faith Till the End. It looks like we are the generation that's going to see Jesus come back. Are you excited about that remotely? I got one person clapping, the other going, yes, another, everybody else looking at me. You should see how you're looking like, well, I reckon, I don't know. Well, Jesus coming back does mean uh, volatile change. It really means volatility, y'all. I always wondered, uh, came to the Lord in the 70s and wondered what it would be like uh, just before Jesus came back. Well, here you are. Well, it's a time of uh, climactic change all over the world, and um, so the events and circumstances that we find ourselves in, it's a cuckoo time to me. I don't know what to tell you. Every area of life seems discombobulated here in America particularly, and perhaps because we lead the world, but then all over the world, things are a-changing, and there's schemes and designs to a lot of what's going on, and there are those that want to control everybody in the world. It's called the spirit of Antichrist. So don't forget that Jesus came the first time as a, as a baby in the manger, and he became like us so he could assume our sin and pay our sin debt. Is that good news? But, but the other really cool thing, and at least a third of the Bible is prophetic in that it it really talks about end-time events. And, um, uh, but when Jesus comes back the second time, he's not coming as a baby. He's coming as a lion. And now I've been to safari a couple of times in Africa. Lion's the king of the jungle. I mean, that dude reigns, you know. And when Jesus comes back as a lion, he's going to run off all of his enemies. He's going to whip their backside real good. And then he's going to come back and rule and reign for a thousand years. And then we'll enter into eternity. Are you excited about that? Did you know that very few believers have a... Have a, have a Christian mindset, uh, a, a Christian worldview. Very few. That's the Christian worldview. Jesus is returning, and he is the Prince of Peace. And when he returns, this world's going to be like God called it to be before Adam and Eve sinned. Yes or no? So I'm excited about that. Anyway, we need faith till the end to navigate the tough waters that we're in right now and that will probably become a bit more volatile um, we, need, we need faith, and so I started talking last week about the importance of faith, and so I need to make a disclaimer on this. The things I'm talking about, I'm talking about for people who are willing to sell out to Jesus. Now, what I'm about to talk about is not for a person who says, well, I'm a believer, but one day you're walking with God, and the next day you're walking with your friends in sin. I am not talking to a person like that. So if you got one foot in God's kingdom and one foot uh, doing things that everybody else does around you, uh, and, you know, it's, I mean, they just saw all kinds of permissions today with sex and drugs and, and drinking and, and, you know, or a life just filled with self-focus where you do what you want to do when you want to do it and you hardly have any time for God. It is not time to live that way, my friend. It's time to sell out. Jesus said, if you go walk with me, you got to take up your cross. You know, you got to be crucified, take up your cross, you got to follow me. How many hear what I'm saying? And we live in a generation that doesn't want to hear that they're sacrificed to walking with God. But the sacrifice is you got to put your flesh under. you got to say no to your physical body. And you got to be willing not to do the things that our culture right now are saying is okay. In fact, the truth is, the, the, our culture needs the light that's inside of us now more than ever. And they just don't need for us to have services on Sunday morning where we shout and sing and twirl and dance. They need to see us when we go out of here. We're living what we believe. And that means we're standing up for the values that Jesus has. We're standing up as a light. A light, when a light turns on, the darkness has got to go somewhere. 
And people that are walking in darkness don't like light because it exposes their deeds, Jesus said. So there is persecution in our future. Are you willing to be vilified? Are we willing to be ostracized? Are we willing to be marginalized because we love Jesus? Yes or no? Now we can clap all day, but are you willing for somebody to spit in your face and say, you're a fool, you're an idiot, I don't believe you. That's what happens when you confront the flesh of people who want to do what they want to do. And friends, we are living in a culture that is no longer Christian. The values are no longer Christian. In fact, they're teaching such nasty things to our children in school that thank my thank God, and I can't believe that four years ago we started this process of building that building. Uh, it's such so iniquitous. It's so horrible what they're doing it to children in classrooms, the things they're instilling as belief systems. And friends, that's the reason we need to stand up. So what I'm saying is not for the nominal, well, I love Jesus, but you know what? You're drinking like everybody else. You're doing drugs like everybody else. You're having sex like everybody else. You're looking at porn like everybody else. You're living a selfish life like everybody else. This doesn't work when you're doing that. Yes or no? So just, just, a, little, just a little disclaimer on that. I thought I'd, I'd give one. So last week we talked about uh, believing that you have faith is believing that you have what God says you have, even when it looks like it's not there. Now, that's faith, and that's a really simple. We gave an illustration from Genesis chapter 12 of a man named Abram who lived in modern-day Iran-Iraq area, uh, Earl of the Chaldees, it was called in Bible days. His name was Abram, and his name meant exalted father. And God appeared to him one day and said, I want you to come away from your family. When God calls you, he calls you to an unfamiliar place. And many times he'll call you to forsake the life and lifestyle that you've had before you knew Jesus. Peter was a fisherman, but God called him away from his fishing activities. How many hear me? Matthew was a tax collector, quite despised. And Jesus said, come away from your occupation and follow me. And he said to Abram, he said, I want you to come away from everybody you know, from the lifestyle that you're familiar with, and I'm going to take you to a city that you have no idea about, whose builder and maker is me. In fact, I'm changing your name, Abram. You're 75, your wife is 65, and I'm going to tell you, y'all going to have a baby. Grandma and grandma. Grandpa going to have a baby. And people are going to think you crazy when, you, when I change your name. But you're no longer Abram. You're Abraham. You're no longer exalted father. You're father of a multitude. And every time you introduce yourself to people, I want you to say, they say, who are you? I say, I'm Abraham. They say, well, where are the youngins? We don't have them yet. <laughs> you're going to have babies now? Ain't going to happen. So the years passed. 75, 85, I mean, Abraham's 95, Sarah's 85, Abraham's 100, Sarah's 90. They hadn't had the baby yet, and he's still calling himself Abraham, father of a multitude, millions of people, the stars and the sands. How many offspring we going to have? A bunch of babies, a bunch of kids. It's going to be amazing. But you see, how many know God's the God of the miraculous? So God will have you say things that doesn't seem like it's real. Talk about yourself in ways that doesn't seem like it's true. But just like God promised, Abraham was 100 and he sired a child. Sarah was 90 and God bless her soul, she had a baby. Somehow God took the wrinkles off of her face and he lit her womb up and she had a baby. And the Bible calls him the father of faith. And we also gave the illustration of Jesus. He had the disciples out, you know, and they... 
they went to cleanse the temple because uh, people were selling their wares in the temple. And, and uh, spiritual things had become really religious, just like today. People religiousize spiritual things. Is that true? So Jesus took his disciples, and they went from Bethany and Jerusalem. On the way, Jesus was hungry, and he actually spoke to a fig tree and said, nobody's going to ever eat fruit of you again. And his, his disciples thought he was cuckoo, crazy. And they walked in, he cleansed the temple, they come back out, they went back to Bethany, went to bed, got back up. Coming back into the city the next morning, the fig tree was cursed, and Jesus taught them a lesson of faith. And he said, have faith in God, and we mentioned this last week, whoever says to the mountain, the mountain is a, is a word or a euphemism for a problem, a surmounting problem, be removed, be cast into the sea, and doesn't doubt in his heart, but believes what he says will come to pass, and he'll have what he says, then whatever you desire when you pray, believe you receive, and you'll have. He said, look at the tree. Is it wilted? Well, sure it is. It's because I believe what I say. It's because I had the command of faith, and God wants us to walk and live by faith. Then last week, I gave um, some personal anecdotes of, of what faith looks like and just how faith has directed my own life. I did mention this. Dr. J. Oswald Sanders has a quote. Faith enables the believing soul to treat the future as present and the visible as seen. I really, really, really like that. So I've got eight things about uh, you need to know about faith. I didn't even get into the guts of the first one, first service. Is that okay? So I was going to cover two today, but we may just got to get in and wander in, put a little toe in, the, in the, just the bare edge of the water of this first one. Two things you need to know about faith. First of all, God has given you faith. It's a gift from Jesus to you. Is that good news? Yeah. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says this, For by grace you've been saved through faith. Everybody say faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, Lest anyone should boast. A couple of things here. Uh, he says, for by grace, everybody say grace. You've been saved through faith. Everybody say faith. So you got grace, you got faith. And he said both of them, the grace and the faith is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. So the grace is the gift of God and the faith is the gift of God. Is that good news? Then he says, not of works. That, that is, it's not something that you work up yourself. It's nothing, so, not something that you produce. God wants us to walk and live by faith. Uh, Martin Luther, um, you know, walked up steps to the church in uh, Germany, and he had a thesis in, uh, what was it, 1595, something like that? I think so. And he said, the just shall live by faith. And he nailed his thesis to the wall there. And uh, he was quoting uh, Romans 1, 16 and 17. The just shall live by faith. God wants us to live by faith. So the cool thing about that is if God wants you to do something, he gives you the goods to do it with. So I, I just want to make a point that every single one of us has faith from Jesus. If you're born again, Jesus has given you a measure of his faith. Everybody say a measure. That's a really good idea. Romans 12, 3, For I say through the grace given to me, uh, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly as he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. If you look in the Greek language, it could be either a or the word the. Or so you could say God has dealt to each one the measure of faith. The idea there is everybody's got the same amount. 
So, so when you come to Jesus, Jesus gave you faith that you could believe in things that you can't see and talk about things that you can't see and act like they're real when they don't look like they're real. See, that's a really important point. And if I could get to point two, which I don't think I'm going to have time to today, we'll examine that next time because we'll talk about uh, the two uh, areas that things exist. Things exist, first of all, spiritually, and then secondly, naturally. We'll talk about that maybe next week. But I want to examine this a little bit. Everybody has a measure of faith that comes from Jesus when you come to him and you claim him as your savior, right? That's what the scriptures reveal, right? By grace you're saved through faith, not of yourself. It's a gift. God gives you a gift. He gives you a gift of grace, a gift of faith in Romans 12. Three here again. Uh, everybody has a measure. That means everybody's got the same amount. So, so it's not like God gave me a whole lot and gave you a little or gave you a whole lot and gave me a little. Everybody's got the same amount. How many understand that? That's, that's really important. It's just like all of us are born with the same number of muscles in our physical body. And, uh, you know, I forgot. There's 600-something muscles, I think, in the body. Y'all, somebody is, uh, can remember. I just don't remember how many. A bunch. And, uh, you know, they're all pretty much the same. And it's only when you start exercising them that they grow and change. Yes or no? So you can exercise your leg muscles. I exercise my leg muscles by ride a bicycle on the trail long distances. So they're very well developed. But, you know, so maybe you've uh, developed your triceps, your biceps, or maybe your upper body, a number of the muscles there. Well, you got to work on it. And the, so the faith is the same way. It only develops as you work on it. Yes or no? Now, God gave me this this morning just when I first got up, and he wanted me to mention this. Uh, fa- faith, is, faith, is like a, faith is like a plant. Or faith is like a seed. It starts small. I want you to watch this. Mark 4, verse 26, he said, this is Jesus speaking, the the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. Now, Jesus, when he talked, he talked to people where they were living. Everybody, you know, in that culture, they would plant gardens. They would have seed. They they understood seed. They understood farmers. They understood plants. They understood animals, things like that. So he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground and should sleep by night, rise by day, and the seed should sprout and grow. And he himself does not know how, for the earth yields crops by itself, first the blade, then the head, after the full, after that, the full grain in the head. So when I read that for me, you know, we had a, at least a half an acre garden. Y'all, that is a lot of stuff. That's a lot of dirt. And there's lots of weeds. And so we had long rows of, of plants. I mean, we had uh, green beans, butter beans, tomatoes, okra, um, uh, squash, zucchini squash, uh, peanuts, uh, peppers, tomatoes. Did I say tomatoes? Peas, uh, corn. Uh, watermelon, cantaloupe, we had everything. I mean, to me, uh, okra, y'all like all that? Uh, and so for me, my job was to plant the seeds. So my dad had a big old John Deere tractor, and he'd furrow, get the, the, get the rows ready, and they would come along with a hoe, and, you know, every about uh, probably 15, 18 inches, we'd, we'd dig a hole, you know. And then my job was to get the bat seed bag out, you know, the green bean seeds or, you know, the pea seeds or whatever, the peas that were dried, the corn, and I just drop a couple in the hole, and then and then we'd come back and and uh, cover it up, put a little fertilizer on it, and uh, I always loved this time of year because when we did that, and then you go out there, you know, and 
you know, it's rain, it'll rain and whatever. And then, you know, a couple of weeks later, my dad said, come here, I want to show you something. My dad always did, come here, I want to show you something. And then you got that little, little plant, it's just breaking the ground. You know, the ground can be a little tough, and it just breaks through. And you can see the ground kind of fall to the side. And here's a little plant that starts growing a little bit at a time. And then you got the leaves that come, and then it keeps growing. For instance, a, a corn plant will go really tall. We had corn that's six, seven feet tall sometimes. But it started as a little plant. And that's what Jesus was saying. Uh, uh, what is big starts small. And then it's incremental. That's what he's saying. First the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the head. So he said, faith is, what he said, what does he say? Faith grows. It starts a little bit at a time as you exercise it. Did you know, now I broke my arm in 2013. My humerus is the largest bone in your body. I was riding on my bike. Uh, anyway, I broke my humerus, fell terrible and um uh, and I so I couldn't use my arm for six weeks or so and the muscles atrophied and, and then I had to go to a I had to go to a guy that I didn't like him a bit and he made me crawl my fingers up the wall and then I had to my muscles atrophied and I had to get accustomed and then this muscle was still strong this one was weak as it could be and I'm left-handed so it took me a period of time so the idea if you don't use a muscle you lose it huh you know, if you got a, a leg or whatever that's infirmed or whatever, you know, you lose the ability to, uh, to use it. So the idea is if you use it, it's going to grow. And here, these little plants, they said faith is like a plant. It grows a little bit at a time, and then eventually it bears fruit. And your faith is the same way. Then Mark 4, verse 30, you know, just a couple of verses down, he said, to what shall we liken the kingdom of God, or what, with what parable shall we picture it? So he said the kingdom of God is like... A mustard seed, which, when it is sown on the ground, is smaller than all the seeds on earth. If you've ever seen a mustard seed, and often we do it in children's ministry, got a little tiny seed, you know, and it grows a big plant. That's what he says. Um, but when it's sown, it grows up, verse 32, and becomes greater than all herbs and shoots out large branches so that the birds of the air may nest under its shade. Now, Jesus gave two illustrations, a plant that's growing. It starts small, but it gets larger. And then the smallest of seeds, the mustard seed, it grows a gargantuan plant that birds can come and it can give you shade as well. And they can rest and nestle in it and put their nests in it. And he said, now that's the way faith is. So I've give you, given you anecdotes about my own life and how faith works in my own life, but here's what you got to know. Faith starts incrementally and starts small and grows. And my encouragement today is, because I think I'm understanding from the Lord, we're going into a pretty uh, shady time, pretty tough time. You're going to need to exercise faith to get through this time. Let me just say this, the enemy's working overtime in all of our heads. And he's trying to tell us that, uh, that uh, the, our, our ship has sunk, nothing's going to work out right, and nothing could be further from the truth. Let me go further and say, I can tell you what the Lord's telling me in my prayer time. He's saying it may get gloomy and dark and nasty, but the light of the glory of God's going to hit the church, and two things are going to happen. There's going to be a tremendous move of God and revival during the time of 
uh, really terrible darkness. Arise, shine, Isaiah said. Your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Darkness covers the earth. Gross darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you. And His glory will be seen of, uh, upon you. And then uh, Joel chapter 2, he, say, he said it come to pass in the last days that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. He said your sons and daughters will prophesy. He said your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Upon your servants and handmaidens, I'll pour out my spirit all in those days. And then he said, blood and fire and smoke. Now that's depicting war. It's depicting a time of cataclysm. It's depicting a time of change. He said, in the middle of this time of change, the glory of God's going to fall on us. And uh, uh, we had prayer yesterday and I had three, uh, actually, words from the Lord God gave me while we were praying. One was on a Wednesday night service and two we're during our uh, Saturday prayer meetings when we have them come, and you'll see what I'm talking about. And I wrote them down, my secretary, thank you, transcribed them. And they're all saying this, uh, the darkest time's going to be the brightest time spiritually. And, and God's going to use the body of Christ to minister to people who feel forlorn, hel- helpless. Uh, you don't know what's coming to this nation. Uh, we're going to start having some times that none of us have ever seen. As old as you are, you've never seen these times. And see, I'm not afraid of it. If you have a mustard seed of faith, you're going to make it through this time. How many hear what I'm saying? It don't take a lot. In fact, now, I mentioned this first service. Let me say it again. So in the 1960s, I was in my single digits. I was born in 1958. So by, you know, the end of the 60s, they had this uh, commercial come on TV, particularly when my dad was watching the evening news with Walter Cronkite. That's the way it is, whatever day. And um, uh, you know, if you're not, uh, not old enough, you don't remember that. But there was, a, there was a commercial that came on. And at the time, what came in vogue was, now I had hair. I had lots of hair when I married Net Susan. That's why she wanted me, because I had lots of hair. <laughs> lots of hair. I used to have it down to my shoulders in ringlets. But those days are gone forever. Nonetheless, uh, in, the, in the late 60s, the... the, the, the uh, you know, what was really popular was cut your hair kind of short and, and crew, crew top that thing. And just cut it, I mean, cut the sides up to nothing. And then crew top, you got a crew, a crew cut. You know what a crew cut is? Well, and so on in the, uh, and see, when I think about faith, I think about what I'm about to tell you. So, so they come on the commercial and the guy, you know, he's cut his hair and he's got his hair sticking up. And then he's got, he's got this substance, it's called Brill Cream. Anybody ever heard of Brill Cream? And then he'll, put, he'll just say, he'll have that thing, he'll open that bottle, and he'll take that thing, he'll do like that, and he'll say, a little dab of do you. <laughs> then he'll smear that thing on his hand and put it on his head. There it is. Put it on his head, and then he'll smooth that hair back, and man, every bristle is just standing straight up. See, the idea is a little dab of do you. It, it, it doesn't take a lot of brill cream, and it doesn't take a lot of faith, just a little bit. If you got a little bit like a mustard seed, that's all you need. This stuff's powerful. Y'all, this stuff's got the, it's got the presence of God in it. It's got miracle working creative power in it. Maybe it'll help me grow hair. I really like it the way it is right now. Except I got to wear a hat in the, in the hot and cold. But nonetheless, the idea is it's just a little bit. You don't need a lot. And it's incremental. A question, what are you doing with the faith God gave you? Are you using it? Listen, you you won't have faith for the big unless you're using it in the little things. 
So, so I won't get past this, and I'm hardly getting started in my notes. So my notes are on our website. Go to victorychurchraleigh.com forward slash notes, and maybe you'll see what I'll preach to next week if God lets me. But uh, this time, I just got to start. Well, you got to start small with your faith. So let me, let me tell you how it worked with me. I came to Jesus uh, September 12th, 1976. I was 17 years old. September 12th, 1976, and I turned 18, October 7th, you know, a few weeks later. Uh, but when I come to Jesus, you know, he dropped, just like I mentioned, he dropped a little bit of faith in me. And, and, and you know, he wanted me uh, to start using that faith. So the first way I had to use my faith, now watch this. See, it's real simple. Anything that God does is not complicated. It's so simple a child can understand it. You understand? That's just the way God is. It's not complicated. It's not some weird, you know, long formula. It's real simple. Um, but the first way I had to use my faith was God said that when he forgave me, he forgot my whole past. Hebrews ten seventeen. there's sins and lawless deeds. I will remember no more. To God, it's just like you don't have a past when you come to Jesus. Is that true? And then, and then 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from unrighteousness. Well, I, I found that out. And then I found out that when you're born again, 2 Corinthians five seventeen says you become a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things pass away, all things become new. And in that old things passing away and all things becoming new, in that is forgiveness of sin. That means forgiveness for everything you've ever done. Right? So you literally stand before God without a past. Now for me that took faith because when I gave my life to Jesus that Sunday morning and then at 2 o'clock in the afternoon after I ate lunch with somebody, I threw my Marlboros and my cool cigarettes out the window. Now I probably should have kept them because that was littering. I get it. Somebody don't talk to me about that. I got it. All right, I got it. You know, nobody caught me, so I knew I threw them. I did that, just say, I'm getting rid of them. I don't want them anymore. And it was just a sudden act. I rolled my window down, shoot, they're gone. And so, but, but Jesus began to change my life that Sunday night, September 12th, uh, that evening service. I got filled with the Holy Spirit. And God, I mean, it was just incredible, incredible thing. But, but the hardest thing for me was to, was to believe that God forgot my whole past. The moment I gave my life to Jesus, it was as though I had no past. In fact, Isaiah 43, 25, I even I am he, God says, who blots out your transgressions, means your sins, your lawless things, for mine own sake and will not remember your sin. Now that's incredible. God doesn't remember our sin because as far as he's concerned, it doesn't exist. Now, Einstein, now, I'm going to get off into a little weed here. Einstein's theory of relativity was that, you know, what is it? E equals MC2, which says that if you can travel basically at the speed of light, that you enter into eternity and time ceases to exist. You get it? So God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. God lives in the eternal now isn't that cool so so when god says there's hebrews 10 17 their sins and lawless deeds i'll remember no more 
then what he's really saying is there's not even a history of your sin. Because God can see past, present, and future as now. Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus was the lamb slain from the foundations of the world. God called Abram, Abraham. Jesus saw Jesus as, God saw Jesus as a slain lamb eons before it happened. So when God said to Abraham, when, when God said, when God said when he forgives our sin, he acts as though they're not there. It means they're not even history. Because history can be remembered. And don't forget, he sees past, present, future. The panorama of everything is right here. Now, I could get in some real heady stuff when you talk about physics. But, but physics, you know, they talk about, you know, there was an event, a singular event. They call it a singular. And suddenly, the whole universe. And then this one really heady guy I read after, I got a little physics book, and he said, he's got a whole paragraph with a mathematical equation. And he said, here's what we found out in physics. Everything started, and here's the whole, the whole universe, wide everything. And then he said, we found out it starts here with a singular. And then it ends with a singular. Just the same way. From everlasting to everlasting your God. I'm Alpha Omega, the beginning, the end. God's involved in the whole thing. The idea, I want you to ask a little heady. I get it. But you know, the idea is your past doesn't exist to God. So me, I had to get my little mustard seed. And for me, it was a challenge. I had to believe that when Jesus said he forgave me, he did. So I went back to work. So September 12th, I came to Jesus. September 13th was a Monday. I worked at a grocery store. I went to school. I was going to school to be an electronics engineer at the time. So I went to school. And then I went to work. And then at work. There's a little girl, she had the most beautiful red hair you'd ever see. And she, she was raised in school with me all my life, first grade all the way down. And her name was Jane. And she'd come out the back room of the grocery store. And here I am working on an aisle putting product on the shelf. And, I, and, and, and we were always bumming cigarettes off of each, each other. And Jane come out the back room, she said, um, Hey, Mitch, give me a cigarette. And I started to say, well, I don't have one. But when I started to say that, the Lord spoke up and said, no, no, don't you say that. Say, I don't have one because Jesus set me free yesterday. Oh, oh, oh. And my head said, well, I can't say that. She think I'm crazy. Oh, he said, you say that. And I mean, it's just happening in a few seconds. And she said, Mitch, give me a cigarette. She said, Mitch, give me a cigarette. I, and I just, blur- I said, Jane, I don't have a cigarette. Jesus set me free. And y'all, 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 for the first time in my life, I felt, I felt, the joy of the Lord. It just kind of like, whoop. I said, whoa. So that's what happened when you tell people about Jesus, you get joy. That's really, Peter says it's unspeakable and full of God's presence, and it is. But, you know, I, I'd feel that, and then other times, you know, my friends at work would remind me, and I don't even like to say this, but it was real. You know, September 11th, I worked all day, in a 10-hour day. Yeah, 10-hour day, and... Uh, Worked all day, and, and you know, all the guys with me, I mean, they don't know Jesus from a hole in the wall. 
And uh, we're just young guys and full of ourselves and all that and full of lust. So they're peeping out the window and they're looking, all the win- all, they're looking at all the girls who got hot pants on. Ooh, look at that one. Ooh, look at that one. And so they said, come in a minute. So I came and said, ooh, look at that one. And then after I came to Jesus, you know, I mean, it was that same week. They come up and say, you're talking about because every time they'd say something, I'd say, well, Jesus set me free from that. And you know what they said to me? They said, well, wait, wait, wait. You were with us on Saturday, and you were lusting after the women just like us. I said, but you don't understand. God forgave, and God forgave my sin and forgot I ever did it. Did you hear me? And that's the way it became. I had to remind myself over and over again, God forgave me. And y'all, when you first start walking with God, you have a lot of feelings that make you feel like you don't know God. Yes or no? And you've got to be willing to walk beyond the feelings. I'm talking about first the blade, then the ear, then the full stalk of the, of the plant that you're, that you're growing. You've got to start incrementally. That's where you begin with your faith. You've got to believe God that He's forgiven you when it feels like He hasn't. You've got to believe God's made you a new creature in Christ Jesus. Does this, this lust desires ever rise back up in me? Yes, but you know what I said? I don't want that, God. Jesus, I don't want that in my life. And say, Mitch, come. Hey, Mitch, Mitchie, come and look at the window. I said, I don't want to. I, I'm, I'm, I'm separated from that. And say, well, you ain't nothing. You're just a hypocrite. You can call me. I said, you call me what you want. I'm a, the Bible says I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things pass away. And see, you got to say that when it doesn't seem real. Right? So when I came to the Lord, my experience, you probably got the same experience. So I lived in a small town. We probably had, how many people in that town, Susan? 75,000 people in the county at the time. They probably got 150,000 now, maybe 200,000. Florence, South Carolina. So anyway, I was raised in that city and raised in that environment. So, so as I tooled around and smoked dope and did all kind of things with my friends as teenagers, I had all kinds of experiences with people. I had experiences at certain places in the city that I did certain things. So you know what happened? And, and, and then and here's what I found out when I first came to the Lord. Uh, somebody had walked by with a smell. And that smell reminded me of something. It reminded me of somebody. You know, your mind works in a millisecond. Your mind can remind you of where you've been, and you hadn't thought about it in five years. Is that true? See, that's how the enemy uh, tricks us. He uses our own mind against us. That's what he said to, to Eve. Hath God said? He said, yeah, God, you say God's forgiven you, but you know what? Remember what you did? And then that, that memory's constantly working. So I'm driving my car, going past a, a, a certain place in the city, and here's a certain location, and I went there with my friends, and we did X, Y, Z, and I ain't going to tell you what it is. He said, remember that? That's you. You done that, son. And you know what I had to say? Wait a minute. It's just as though that never happened. I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things are passed away. It's just as though I didn't do them. And see, my friends, they come up and say, don't you want some reefer, son? I had to say, I don't want you anymore. In fact, if you want to be my friend, listen, I'm not going to do that with you. I'm not going to drink with you. I'm not going to do dope with you. I'm not going to cuss with you. I'm not going to lust with you. I'm not going to party like you do. Now, I love you, but I'm not doing that. And if you're going to do that and that's all you want me for, I'm done. And I had friends, I was three years old when I met them, four years old, before I started school. I, had to, I went to school, I went to church with them. And after church, we'd go smoke pot. I mean, come on, y'all, you don't need those kind of friends. Did you hear me? My goodness. And my friends would remind me, well, I know you, I know you. 
I know what you do. I know. So well, you might think you know me. Jesus knows me better than you do. I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. So again, thought association happens to all of us. You can have the silhouette of a person. When you just glance at they remind you of somewhere you've been. You hear what I'm saying? And see, the enemy uses our own thoughts against us. And so I had to, I had to exercise faith just to believe that God forgave me of my sin and didn't hold me against uh, it against me anymore. You get that? Second thing I had to exercise faith for, the Bible says um, that he made him to be sin for us, in Corinthians 5.21, who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. I had to have faith that I was righteous. So watch this. God doesn't just forgive our sins. And there we are, forgiven sinners. And in the Baptist church particularly, there, there was a phrase we used all the time. Well, I'm, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I'm just, just a sinner saved by just a, Being humble, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Well, I'm just a sinner. And, and, but you know what I found out? I was a sinner. I got saved by grace. And then Jesus made me the righteousness of God in him. Now, what do you mean? Jesus didn't just forgive my sin. Jesus forgives you, gives your sins. Again, Hebrews 10, 17, their lawless uh, deeds I will remember, their sins and lawless deeds I remember no more. And, and then, um, you know, Micah 7, 19 says, he's cast our sins into the depths of the sea. Psalm 103, 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our sins from us. That's an incalculable distance. If you go east, you're going east infinitum. You never go west. So it means an incalculable distance. He's removed our sins. But not only has he, he didn't just remove our sins, but you're still the sinner. No, 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 no. No, when Jesus forgives us, he takes our sins. That's one part of it. He takes our sins and he bore the penalty for our sins in hell. Jesus went to hell when he died. He stayed there until God was satisfied that your sin penalty was paid. Then he was raised from the dead. When you make Jesus Lord, God not only forgives your sin and acts towards you as though they never existed and will never remind you of them again. He goes a step further. Say, let me do something else for you. Because most of us have this thing where we feel pretty bad about ourselves because of the mischief we've created for us and others in our lives, right? That's me. And so I found out when Jesus forgave my sin, he went a step further. Say, I'll do you one better. Not only will I forgive your sin, but because you've been thinking the way you do about yourself and feeling the way you do about yourself, I'm going to give you a brand new self. And I'm going to give you my standing with God. So when you come before God to pray, it's as though I'm coming before God to pray. And God sees me as his son. Now God's going to see you as his child. So when you stand before God to pray, it's as though I'm standing before God to pray. That's what righteousness means. Whew. Now did I feel it? I thousand times no i felt lost most of the time i felt away from god most of the time i felt unforgiven most of the time i felt like a wretch most of the time but i said out loud father thank you that you've forgiven me thank you that you've cleansed me see that's that little seed of faith working and if you can't believe that you don't go past it into something bigger you get it then I took the next step and I had to believe that when I stood in the presence of God, 
Hebrews 4, 16, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Let us therefore come boldly. One translation says unashamedly before the throne of grace. That means you can go in there like my grandkids. When my grandkids see me, they call me Poppy. Hey, Poppy! Poppy! And they jump up in my arms. They're unashamed. They have a standing with me. I'm Poppy. I'm all of them. About all of them do it, don't they? Uh, Loic helped me plant some plants on Friday. Well, he saw my, saw my red truck. He calls my truck Big Red. He saw my, he come and run it. And see, God wants you to come running into his presence that way. Just as though you, see, righteousness is the ability to stand before God as sin, as though sin, inferiority, and condemnation had ever been in your life. Again, think about a child, a little baby, reaching up for the arms of mom, reaching up for the arms of dad. That's the way God wants us to see ourselves in Christ. You don't go to God thinking of how awful you are and what a vagabond you are, how nasty you are. Jesus cleansed your sin. Jesus made you right. Did you hear me? That's awesome. Nothing. There is not a psychology class that can put what Jesus can put into you. Because he puts it into you from the inside out. He makes you a brand new person. In fact, if any man be in Christ, one translation says, there is a new self. Now, I'm not kidding. When I say these things, I've said these things many times. I've been here a long time, since 1994. But I'm not kidding. I mean, when I first came to the Lord, I mean, my teenage years, I'm the black sheep of my family. I'm... I'm the apple, you know, the organic apple you buy, and it's got a rotten core, black. Spit it out. That's me. I'm the rotten apple. But, but see what Jesus did? He took the rot out of the core of me, and I'm whole and strong and free. So you see, what does this do? I don't care where you've been, what you've been doing. I don't care how bad you've been. I don't care how many people you've had sex with. I don't care what a porn addict you've been. I don't care what kind of drug addict, alcoholic addict, self-addict you've been. I want you to know when Jesus forgives you and cleanses you, he completely forgives and cleanses you. And see, you've got to be able to believe that when you're by yourself and when you wake up at night because the enemy, I'd wake up at night say, you all big old, look at you. You used to be a hypocrite. You're worse than you ever were. You think you're really forgiven. You think you remember what you did. And then thought association happened all for a long period of time after I knew the Lord. And I had to be willing to say, God, I'm no longer that. I'm free. I'm free. Did you hear what I'm saying? And that takes F-A-I-T-H. Does that make sense? The last thing, and I've got to encourage you to close here. So. See, I didn't even get even start my notes today. It's crazy. This stuff's crazy. You get in some atmosphere. I don't know what it is. It's God. You know, you carry around with you your family. Listen to me. You, you carry a, a, around with you the air, um, the atmosphere of, of the family you were raised in. Your family. Now, it may not be your mom. Maybe you were raised by grandparents or a foster family. I don't care. Whatever family you're raised in, you carry that around with you. I mean, it's with you all the time. And for me, and so, and so your, your parents instill certain values and thoughts and concepts in you. How you relate to others, how you relate to yourself. 
And then really how you relate to God has a lot to do with your family upbringing. And you've got to unlearn that. You might see a father as a cruel person. Instead of a mother being that caregiver and lover, maybe mother was abusive or absent. Or self-absorbed and kind of snarky. See, you got to overcome that, right? And then, so, so your personality and who your, the concept of how you feel about yourself is created, but it's also created outside the home with the atmosphere you're in. I started school at age five because of where my birthday hit. I just started at age five. Most of the people in my, in my classes were age six or age seven when they started school because of the, where their birthdays were, were and where the school district I was raised in cut the time off. So I'm two years behind everybody. And, you know, the dexterity wasn't there when I was young, so I was the last one to be, you know, picked on the ball team. Well, because I, I was just lanky and just the way it was. Fifth grade, I had size 13 shoes. My, my, shoe, my, my feet grew out for my body grew. That's crazy. But see, it created, thing, it created an inferiority in me and that people were always picking on me and dissing me. I mean, just terrible when I was a kid. And see, I got this complex that nobody likes me inferiority you know I, I, I felt like everybody's out to get me and so I learned size people up I walk in a room and I could I learned I learned I just look real quick I could look at people's body language I can look at the what comes I can look at their facial expressions their tones of voice if I can engage them in I know right away if they like me or love me and so I'd always gravitate towards the people that like me not the people that didn't so Anyway, this inferiority thing was really strong in me, and it, it carried me through my teenage years with drugs and all that. When I came to the Lord, it was still there. And it was still there in my, into my adult years after I finished Bible school, and I was on staff at a church. It was still there. And this same principle of walking by faith had to apply. And God gave me a scripture from J.B. Phillips' translation, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3, and it says this, J.B. Phillips is a modern translation from 1958 of the New Testament, and it says, it matters very little to me what you or any man thinks of me. I don't even value my opinion of myself. I say, I got to have that. I got to have that right there. It matters very little what you or anybody else thinks of me. I don't even value what I think about me. He that judges me is the Lord, and Jesus judge, and God judged my sins on Jesus. Is that good? I mean, God doesn't judge me. If he don't judge me, what you think? I love you, but you know what? I'm all right. And you know, I had to learn to walk that out. So I, I spent another period of time feeling like uh, people were against me when I walk in a room. I'm not favored. I'm not cared about. People are just looking for a way to, you know, nitpick me and aggravate me. And I had to overcome that. You know, uh, let me see, let me give you an update about my leg. I, uh, I, I bummed up my sciatic nerve real bad. So I was limping around last week. It's all healed today. That's real. <laughs> and if you're on my Facebook friend, I went, you know, I shouldn't have done it. I rode 27 miles on my bicycle on Tuesday. Even Susan says, you dumb. So anyway, whatever. <laughs> I love you, Susan. But you say, you shouldn't have done that. My interpretation was, you dumb. <laughs> anyway, I did, but I'm fine. But you know, uh, you got memory. Your, your, your muscles have memory. So I had to deal, and I'm still overcoming muscle memory because it's really okay. My, my leg is completely fine. But see, my brain's telling me, whoa, whoa, don't lift that too high because if you lift it too high, it'll hurt. 
because it hurts so bad. It was I mean, that pain about lay you on the ground. And so I'm overcoming the muscle memory. You get it? So, so whatever you're dealing with in life, you got that memory stuff. And your mind wants to tell you you're not loved, you're not cared for, you're not forgiven, you're not pure, you're not holy, you know, you're not righteous, you're not forgiven, you're not accepted. So I, had, I spent a period of time overcome that. So I'd walk in the room and I'd just say, hey, everybody, how you doing? And now you wouldn't know I ever had to deal with that because it's not a part of my life anymore. See, that's that seed of faith. If you don't start in the little, your faith will never grow and develop. Does that make sense? So then I started developing, and i got to stop. We'll start here next week. I started developing my faith for healing, my faith for answered prayer, faith for finances. And now, you know, let me say this. I, I think I can say you know, I can believe as easily for a million dollars right now as it took me to believe for 25 when I first came to the Lord. I, I, it's crazy. See, faith, develop your Why am I saying this? Because where we're going in the world, you need to develop your faith. So start with the little things, the little things of forgiveness, the little things of righteousness, the little things of standing before God where you know he's smiling at you when it feels like he's not. I went for years into the presence of God feeling like my feelings told me he didn't love me. The Bible says he loved and accepted me and loved me as much as he loved his son Jesus. That's tough. That's, that's tough. That's good, right? So see, 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 start developing your faith. Now.